Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 340. I'm your host, Emily Aries, and today I'm sitting down with an exciting author who I'm so delighted for y'all to hear from, Kimberly B. Cummings. She is coming hot off the trail of her book tour for her brand new book, Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love, and she has so much to share with you. So if you're someone who's trying to think through, what is my strategy for my long-term career goals? How am I going to get from point A to point Z in terms of what I want to achieve over my entire lifetime or, or, or over the course of my career? This episode helps break down how to think strategically, methodologically. Well, that's a fancy word there, isn't it? Methodologically. I think I got that right. And mindfully about setting yourself up for sustainable success and really setting course in the right direction for you. But before we go any further, let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Kimberly B. Cummings is a career and leadership expert who's embarked on a mission to expertly lead and navigate readers to and through their desired career field. With the detailed guidance within her new book, Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love, Cummings paves a clear path to create actionable strategies through a proven, effective framework and conscious process that enables professionals to do more, be more, and achieve more. Through Cummings' professional experiences as a career development advisor in some of the nation's top universities and as a diversity and inclusion professional in a Fortune 100 company, her highly celebrated book works in tandem with her experiences and sought-after leadership development company, Manifest Yourself, which provides fail-proof solutions to companies looking to engage and retain their workforce. All right, without further ado, Kimberly, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Super duper excited to be here. I want to first congratulate you on your recently released first book, Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love. What inspired you to write this book? This book was such a long time in the making. Um, This is essentially the process I've used with my clients who I used to work with one-on-one for years. And fun fact, I actually did a keynote presentation in 2017 with the same exact title, Um, (laughs) but I didn't remember it until like a few months ago. I was like, oh, well, of course, that's why that made sense. And the title just was natural to me. I love it. Um, (laughs) But it was the process that I've used to bring my clients through really understanding where they are, what they'd like to do, elevating their brand, and really the goal is putting together a two-year career strategy, which is the end of the book. And people have been asking for years when I do speaking engagements, like, oh my gosh, like, where can I buy your book? And I was like, (laughs) I don't have one of those. So, (laughs) Well, now you're in the club. I love it. Welcome, welcome to the author club. It's a fun place to be. It's a hard-earned place to be. So kudos. Thank you. Thank you. 
And how did you get into career services to begin with? Because you're a diversity and inclusion professional. You've got a background in career services. What drew you to this kind of work? So when I finally moved back into higher ed, so, you know, I had a few stumbles like most people do after school, um, a few stumbles that shall be left unnamed unless you want to go on my LinkedIn. Um, And when I got back into higher ed, I was just so excited to be there. That was the first intentional career decision I made Mm. where I knew I would be happy back in higher ed. I just missed the environment, missed the camaraderie, missed like the excitement of students, but I wasn't in missions and I liked it. However, I wanted to have a longer term relationship with students. Mm. I felt like I don't really get to work with alums. I just work with students who are coming from high school. They get so excited when they get their offer letter and then it's off to the races and they never know about me anymore. Mm. Um, I'm also in the tri-state. So then I was living in uh, New York and I was commuting to the Bronx. And I'm not sure how much you know about (laughs) the city, but, you know, anything with a bridge in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. gets pricey. The bridges always go up. They never go down. Yep. Um, And it was an entry-level job, so I wasn't making that great of money. So I was like, you know what? Let me see if I can get something on this side of the bridge. And a role opened at my alma mater in career services. And again, entry-level role. And I was like, I think I really like this. I love talking about work. I've always loved personal and professional development and really make sure, making sure that I knew how to navigate the work, mm. the world of work. And I wanted, I was able then to build that long-term relationship with students and alumni. Right. Because essentially you have them as a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, then alums, you have them for life. And the first time I saw someone get a job as a direct result of working with me, I was hooked. Mm. Oh my gosh, I was hooked. I, I just saw the power of career development. I was like, I didn't realize that career coaching was really a thing that non-executives could get. Mm-hmm. It was so impactful. That's amazing. I love that. I It's so funny. The whole Bossed Up team here would very strongly relate to that because we have a whole Slack channel devoted to client wins and we're constantly celebrating whenever we get someone a promotion or place them in their next best opportunity. And it's just, it's kind of like a high that we ride that keeps us going when when the days are are hard because it's not easy to to be in this industry. It's not easy to be a job seeker or someone who's trying to come up with their own career strategy. So we have to have those moments of of wins that we celebrate widespread. That's so wonderful to hear. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're reminding you of why. Yeah, absolutely. So we just recently started in our Friday newsletter having a boss move of the week. And it's just turned into this like celebration corner of the bossed up community of women, just really celebrating women who've made it happen, who've made their move. And like you said, it takes intentionality. So talk to me about what a career strategy even is, what a two-year strategy looks like in particular, and why we should all have one. So a career strategy is essentially your roadmap of Mm. what your next move is going to be. I think so many times people stumble in their careers because there's no anchor. Mm. They're just, you know, working to work. We all, most of us have to have jobs, right? Right. We got to pay some bills. (laughs) Yeah. So, so we work. And I think especially when when we take it all the way back to undergrad, many times folks just find themselves, well, you know, I got this job and I was just happy to get a job. Right. I graduated in 2008 and anything was was exciting at that point. (laughs) Um, And it happened, I think, regardless of me being being a graduate in the recession, I think it's so important just to have 
an intention so you're not treating jobs almost like old romantic partners, like you're just stumbling into Mm. relationship after relationship and you end up dating the same job the way you'd end up dating the same person. Mm -hmm. So I explained to my clients, the first question I always give them is if I could be your fairy godmother and give you the job of your dreams, um, where would you see yourself in 10 years? And I just literally snapped my fingers and, and I'm like, you got to give me an answer. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, great. So where would we need to be in five years in order to get to the 10 years? All right, even better. So where do we need to set you up to be at the two-year mark in order to hit the five and 10-year goal? Mm. And then once we get to two years, two years I feel like is reasonable. Yeah. It's long enough of a time to see some really good progress but not so long that you're going to get unmotivated. Right. And what I do with my clients that I share in the book is that we break it down into six-month milestones, looking at where they are right now. I have a framework that I share, like, are you even in the right role right now? Right. Or are you actually ready to move today because you've essentially been underemployed for so long that you're overdue for some moves, Mm. even if it's a lateral, power lateral, or promotional. And we kind of map out every six months, what are the checkpoints that you need to achieve? So let's say someone has been um, overemployed, right? They need to get that promotion tomorrow because it's just, well, not overemployed, underemployed, excuse Mm, me. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're underemployed um, and they've been in that same role for five years, no promotion. They can do it with their eyes closed, they're bored senseless, but they don't have a single mentor or sponsor in the workplace. Mm. A lot of the beginning of their plan will be really reinvigorating their personal and professional brand to make sure people know who they are, what they're good at, maximizing how they showcase their expertise in the workplace Mm -hmm. and elevating that so they can also connect with mentors and ultimately sponsors. Which can feel like really amorphous work, right? It's pretty intangible stuff. So for the dopamine hit we get when we, you know, cross something off our to-do list, you know, we can't necessarily get that in the same way. There's a lot of prep work that goes into this strategy, right? Exactly. And I think that's the hard part, I think, for many professionals, especially who've been underemployed for so long. But I always stress that, you know, you kind of want to do this right because you don't want to end up in the same role again. Yes, absolutely. And many times there's ways to maximize or, you know, use the current job that we're in Mm. and help you leverage it to get to the next role versus just, you know, gunning for that next one and just putting out all the applications. I'm sure, you know, we all know that person who's put out a million job applications and hasn't heard back from one, even if they're incredible. So you don't, you don't want to be in that hole. That's just discouraging. So let's take a step back and make sure that we're being strategic. Totally. I think the buckshot approach is what I call that. (laughs) It's depressing and it's exhausting (laughs) and it's infuriating. You said something earlier I want to ask you about. You said lateral paralateral or power lateral or tell me more about the difference there. So a lateral move is the way I look at a plain lateral is if you need to gain skills in another area in order to make a true promotional move later. So for me, I can give you an example. When I worked in career services for a long time, I really wanted to be a director of career services. That's all I wanted to do. I need to be a director of career services. And I knew when I was looking at directors of career services across the country and looking at their backgrounds, I was able to pull out some key skill sets that they had, especially if they started in career services versus coming in from another institution or another industry. I knew that, of course, I needed student counseling experience. I needed 
ideally some experience working with alumni. I needed assessment and operations experience. Um, Programming was always great and employer development. Mm. So as I was building out my own career strategy, after I spent a good amount of time really focusing on the counseling and programming, I was like, okay, I need to hit one of these other skill sets. Right. So what I did, I ended up taking some lateral moves or I'd even call it like a half step promotion. It was really just differences in how people use the titles to make sure I can get those skills. Got it. And power laterals are generally, it's like the in-between role, Mm -hmm. but it's not fully promotional. Sometimes you'll see someone who's a manager and they become a senior manager. Right, right. Many times you'll see this happen when someone wants to switch industries and they can't go promotional. Right. But this is what gets them aligned in the new industry. And I'm like, I feel like it's not enough just to call it a lateral. We got it. Like there's some power behind it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a bossed move. Like really, it's yeah. a bossed up move. If, it's, if they're making a really big difference, it's not just a normal mm. lateral. Like, hey, like no salary change, no nothing. It's like, right. no, this is strategic. That's such a really good way of looking at it. It's like a purposeful lateral move, right? It's yes. like- yeah, because I think sometimes we have this idea in our heads that if if it isn't a greener pasture, it's not worth pursuing. When it sounds to me like you're saying part of your whole philosophy on long-term career strategy is what are the skills I need to master? And how do you know when it's time to check those two boxes on counseling, let's say, and uh, career services and move on to get that experience you need in programming, right? Like, how do you decide mm-hmm. when it's time to make a move, even if it is a lateral move with a purpose of gaining more skills that will ultimately get you to your goal? I really believe in role mastery. I think that, well, you know, what do they call us now? I think I think I'm considered like a geriatric millennial. <laughs> elder. <laughs> I prefer the term elder millennial, but sure. <laughs> that works too. I like too. that better. My pregnant, my, my pregnant friends who are 35 plus are called geriatric pregnancies or something. Yes, So that's, yes, yes. that's a fun one too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to go with elder millennial. I like that so much better and I hadn't <laughs> heard that one yet. So I'm an elder millennial. Um, and I feel like we heard this for so long that you have to stay in a job for one year. You have to stay in a job for two years. And that was almost like a marker of when you can go. But what I've seen with many professionals, what I'm trying to do is kind of level set. It's like, no, time really doesn't mean anything. Right. Because you can be in a role and do absolutely nothing and essentially be at meets expectations in a performance rating, which is you're earning <laughs> yeah. your paycheck at meets expectations. <laughs> right. When you want to talk about getting promoted or taking a lateral, a power lateral move that really is an alignment and setting you up for a true new experience in your next role, whenever that is, two years, five years, et cetera, you have to make an impact. Mm. You have to really master your role. I believe everyone Mm. can be a leader. And I don't care what level you're at, if you're a people leader, not a people leader, like your role, you need to be the master of that domain, the SME, subject matter, expert, et cetera. So I really challenge my clients, like, have you mastered it? Have you gotten everything out of this role that you're supposed to get? Mm. Have you done the stretch assignments? Have you made the network connections? Have you cultivated mentorship and sponsorship? Do you have good relationship with your peers? Like, can we check these boxes before we think about just hopping and skipping to another role? I have a chapter in my book called like how to know when it's time to go. And I definitely understand there are situations where it's like, no, they're like, Kim, we're leaving. Like, right. You may not want me to leave, but I am leaving. Then, you know, we could work on that too. But (laughs) depending you're not in a toxic work environment. Right, right. 
let's make sure that we set you up a little bit better by maximizing where you are. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I like that. You know, to play on the millennial trope here for a second, our generation also made a name for itself for being what boomers would call entitled. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I never bought into that one. I think if you look closer at our generation, that wasn't really a thing. But it's funny because I hear from career professionals – in two very polarized camps. The professional who's like, I am so undervalued and unappreciated here. I deserve so much more that I'm resentful. I'm not becoming a subject matter expert. I'm not mastering my role because I'm resentful and feel like I deserve more. There's that end of the spectrum. And then I hear from the folks who are like, no matter how perfect, how polished, how professional they ever are, They're so full of self-doubt and struggle Mm. with what some call the imposter syndrome or imposterism that they would never say that they're the SME, that they've mastered their domain. And and for them, how would they ever know when it's time to move on? Because our own sense of our own capacity and achievement seems really warped compared to like the truth if it's out there, right? Like what what our bosses might say about us. So how do you discern when you feel like your own self-perception might be really wacky? How do you discern when you feel like you've really mastered the role? Where do you glean that? I'm really big on getting feedback. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'll just start asking. And I know that for some folks, they're like, ooh, I'm not asking anyone for feedback. (laughs) Um, But one of the things I do, um, I do a stop continue exercise and I'll ask people who I work with, like, what do I need to start doing more of? What do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to continue doing? Yeah. So I can get some really good feedback. I also try and take myself like out of my day to day Mm -hmm. and really think about, okay, what did I come here to do? Like, what does that job description say? Right. How much of this am I doing? (laughs) Yes. A little bit of detachment from the ego is not a bad thing. It's sort of like, let's look at the role and my performance in relation to that. Yeah? Exactly. Not who I am as a person. Yeah. Exactly. Because you could be an introvert and maybe you don't feel like you're out there where everybody's asking you for this, that, and the third. But there are things like, what is your leader coming to you for? what are your coworkers always pulling you to the side and saying, Hey, can you help me with this right quick? Mm. Like what type of projects do you get added to? Mm-hmm. Because they just know you're going to come in and kill it. Totally. And that's all feedback in a way, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. All of it. I interviewed Sheila Heen from Harvard on this very podcast about her book, um, Finding the Feedback You Need. That was the name of the podcast episode. I'm not sure if that's the name of her book exactly, but she reminded us as professionals that we rarely just get the feedback we need. (laughs) We have to Mm -hmm. take responsibility for going out there and asking for it. And that can be a very vulnerable experience if your perception of feedback is, am I worthy? right? Which is so drilled into us, especially if you graduated in the recession and we're told that you should be grateful for anything that anyone deems you worthy of. So. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like feedback, what I always share with folks is that like not all feedback is about you. Mm -hmm. Not all of it. It's very easy to make it all about you and make it feel like it is all about you, but it's not. Yeah. Um, You have to be able to discern is the feedback really for you, for your betterment, Yep. Or with someone projecting something on you. Right. 
about their own feelings, about their experience or what they think is necessary. Yeah. I had a leader back in the day um, who she just really didn't like people outshining her mm, yeah. at all. So she'd always give feedback like, you know, I think like maybe you don't need to like give feedback there or um, let's make sure we have someone else do this. Or you know what, last time when you spoke up in this way, like maybe next time send your questions to me. Um, and then I'll ask them for you. And sometimes you just have to kind of say, like, where is this feedback coming from? Is right. it really and truly needed in this moment? Right. Or is it about someone's unique experience that they're then projecting on you? I think it's definitely hard sometimes to tell the difference. But yeah. I think that's literally not to get all woo-woo. You just have to kind of lead into your intuition then. Yeah, totally. I think generally you'll get that, like, that ping in your stomach. Yeah. That you'll know. <laughs> mm, and it, something ain't right. It's just a good reminder that I, I think I wrote this in my book too. It's sometimes it's your job to, in order to make yourself proud or your future self proud, you might have to disappoint someone else in the short term. Because Ooh, I love that pleasing that kind of a boss is going to lead you awry, like astray, right? It's going to lead you down a path of perfecting and performing and pleasing for someone who doesn't really have your best interests at heart. No, not at all. And that's why you need feedback from multiple people. Mm. I tell folks you need feedback from like your peers. You need feedback from your managers. I also love getting great relationships with like my leaders, peers as well, mm. um, from your sponsors. You need feedback from a whole bunch of places yeah. so that you can essentially, a lot of companies still don't have 360 reviews mm. yet. But if you can get feedback that is create the feedback for yourself, that's more 360 that will allow you to truly see things. Like what are the common trends? Mm. It's almost like when people say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go look up this company on Glassdoor <laughs> right. um, and see what they say. And I was like, ah, well, you know, people who write reviews are generally more disgruntled. Um, so you need to kind of read a mix of reviews. Like let's go to LinkedIn and Glassdoor and Payscale and all the sites and kind of put all the things together or Amazon reviews, same things. Mm. Is it really all ones or are there some fives too? Maybe we should look at the threes and fours instead of just the ones and fives right. to really glean what, is, what do we need to take from here. I love that. Seeing common trends, super duper mm. important. So what would you say to the person who's just starting to think about getting started on the career strategy process? I, I know you've been known to say you need to first know where you are in order to know where you want to be. What do, what do you mean by that? It's time to do some self-assessment. Mm. I think so many times folks will want to run into the process, like this is where I want to go. Let's go right there right now. But it's important to do a little bit of self-assessment to understand exactly where you've been, mm. what skills have you had, what experiences have you had, um, what are your strengths, that you'd like to continue to use? What are the gaps um, or weaknesses that you never want to use again? <laughs> um, it's not just always about like attacking the gaps and fixing them. Sometimes it's like, well, you know, I don't think I ever want to do that again. So let's make sure that's not a part of my repertoire moving forward. Right. I think it's really important so that you know yourself um, and all of those elements so that you can then leverage that and move forward and include what the real gaps are that you need to attack before you make your next move, especially if we're talking about embarking upon a job search and you're mm. going to be a part of an interview process really, really soon. Interviews are all storytelling. Mm. And I'm sure you say something very – I feel like every career coach says something yes. very similar. But I'm like, your interview starts the moment the company interacts with you. The moment they talk to you, you have to be ready to tell stories and set yourself up from that moment 
for the salary negotiation process for them to kind of evaluate your experiences. Mm. Don't wait for them to kind of figure out who you are. You need to be in alignment with the role, the company, et cetera, from day one. And most of that is through storytelling. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. We... I love the art of storytelling. We have a whole program about it at this point. <laughs> so my my whole organizing past as a community organizer was like a master class in, in storytelling. And the power, like all movement building, all campaigns are stories. Yes. And the campaign to get you a promotion or the campaign to get you your next job requires the art of storytelling. I love that you said that. Um, it's so interesting, right? Because I, th- I think there's – what you're saying about knowing your skills makes a lot of sense to me. In our leadership development accelerator, Level Up, every member starts by doing a Gallup strengths assessment. Oh, that's one of my and, faves. Yeah, I love them. And and it informs our coaching. It informs the rest of the program. We weave that throughout the rest of the, the training program. But it's it's an interesting reminder that your job is not to be this perfectly well-rounded person, is it? Mm -hmm. It's to lean into those strengths, to leverage those strengths. What does that look like instead of hiding from who you are and thinking, you know, you have to close these gaps and fill these deficiencies to become something you're not? When you know what your strengths are, you're able to create an environment where you're able to be successful. Mm. And you're able to articulate your needs in a completely different way versus always trying to mold into someone else's environment. Um, When I was in corporate, one of the things I always, always did with my team is I had them complete a working styles quiz, um, literally on like their first or second day of work. So I understood how they like to be spoken to, what are common misconceptions about them in the workplace, um, what are things that past bosses have done that drove them up the wall, <laughs> how, how do they like to be congratulated on their work. I had probably like 20 questions that wow, I'd asked so I, I understood. That. And it made such a difference because then when I saw things later, I was like, oh, like this isn't an attitude. They're not upset. Like they literally wrote that this is what I would think if I saw this and this is what it actually means. Mm. Um, one of my things, I'm a very strategic thinker. Um, and for me, that shows up as the strength discipline and strengths finder. Mm-hmm. And when you see discipline, people think that it's like, I'm rigid. It's like, ooh, bop, bop, bop. Things have to be like this. But like, <laughs> no, discipline means that I need structure. Yeah. So when I walk into an environment and things are all over the place, I'm going to panic a little bit and I have to create that structure. Mm-hmm. I need to know, okay, even if you give me A and Z, I'm good. Um, and I will reach out to you to make sure I can get that daggone Z if you can't mm-hmm. give it to me. So I know how I can build the map in between. But if you're a loosey goosey manager who's just like, Oh, you know, I'm not really sure it could be like this. It could be like that. And we've all had that person where you're like submitting work, submitting works. It was not quite it. Right. It's not quite it. It's like, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me what this daggone Z is so I can build the plan. And then I'm not going crazy. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm able to tell managers that and speak about it so then we can work better together and then I'll show up differently. I'll show up more empowered and you get to see my best self versus this frazzled, frazzled person because I'm trying to figure out what the A and the Z are. Totally. I just love the idea of asking everybody on your team from the get-go and <laughs> those kinds yes. of questions because there are so many different team building assessments and communication assessments and leadership assessments, but just knowing you know, what is being rewarded look like to me? How do I communicate? And how do I want to be communicated with? Those are so 
critical and so often overlooked. That's such a great Yes, and that, that misconceptions question is probably the one that I get the best responses for. Mm, interesting. But I think the, what do people generally misconceive about you in the workplace? I think generally that question, people are speaking to that time when you think that they're unengaged, mm-hmm. angry, upset, frustrated, one of those negative emotions so that when you see it <gasps> as a manager, you can immediately say, oh, okay, that's not actually this. Right. This is that. I think that was probably the most helpful one I always get the answer to. I love it. What a liberating question to be asked too. Mm-hmm. So my one big last question for you is what would you say to folks who hear all of this and think, ooh, a career strategy, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a long-term plan. I don't think I got time for that. I think I'm too late, too busy, too stretched thin, too whatever to make this happen for me. And who say, this might be nice for someone without kids, or this might be nice for someone with more privilege. It doesn't apply to me. What would you say to someone who thinks this is all nice and good, but it it's never going to happen for me? So I have two answers. One is going to be tough love. <laughs> and one will be like the buttoned up tough love answer. So the tough love answer is, well, do you have time to make a whole bunch of mistakes then? Mm. Do you have time to keep fumbling, especially for someone who's really dissatisfied in their career? Mm -hmm. The plan allows them to not have that stuck feeling, allows them to have more of a mission, a driving place. And if they feel like they've been fumbling in their career, Mm. then they must have time to do some more of it if they don't want to create a strategy. Because so many times folks are waiting for their company to do it, their boss to do it, Mm. all these other people besides themselves. Like, why don't you want to put your own plan together versus waiting for someone else to put it together for you? Because companies and managers, nine times out of 10, their focus is on retaining you no matter what. Right, right. If you've got to stay in this job for thinking five years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you're going to stay in it five years or until the person who you want to move into their role, they retire. And when I worked in higher ed, that was never. Mm. People just don't retire. They stay forever. That is true. (laughs) And you don't want to be in an environment like that. So that's why it's so crucial. And the non-tough love answer I would say something more like, this is the opportunity to really create a career that you are going to love that supports you and your goals. And even if it takes you a little bit of time, you do a little bit each week, each month, Mm. this is going to be something that supports you. Shameless plug. If you get my book, you can read a chapter a week. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't even want to read the whole book, cheat sheet. I have a section at the end of each chapter called Your Next Move. Mm. You could just read the Your Next Move section. So none of the stories that I tell and all that fun stuff, just the Your (laughs) Next Move is generally probably not more than, I think the longest Your Next Move is maybe three pages, Mm. maybe four. So literally very quick, put the kids to bed, read it quickly, and then work on it throughout the week. And you could read the book over, I think that's what, there's 13 chapters over the course of like 13 weeks. Mm, mm -hmm. And you can have a career strategy by the time you walk into the 14th week. And you don't even read all the other fun stuff about me. (laughs) Which sounds like a real missed opportunity, but yes. It does. I'm pretty funny. (laughs) I love that. I mean, it's such a reminder that spending time on yourself is still a very radical act. You know, taking the wheel on your career's future 
is a radical act in a world that puts so much else on women's shoulders and so much else on women of color's shoulders in particular. Mm -hmm. It is not easy. It is not the path of least resistance, but it's your path, right? And no one can really take the wheel for you. Or if they do, God forbid, if we wait for them to do so, they're going to head in their own direction, aren't they? Exactly. I'm like, what's that quote? And I I'm, I misquote a lot, so please don't be upset with me if <laughs> I misquote okay. whoever's listening. But isn't there something that says like what you focus on grows? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know who said it, but it sounds something like that. Mm. Um, I think when you really want to grow whatever area it is in your life, yeah. You just gotta put some intentional focus there. Like right now, I'm in the midst of all the book craziness. Right. I haven't seen a gym and a gym hasn't seen me. But I definitely have health goals. Right. And 100%. also, who cares, right? Like, it's like <laughs> important, but not urgent. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Right now, and my trainer has been like <laughs> in my text message, my Instagram DMs, all of it. And I literally wrote to him. I was like, bruh, this yeah. is not the time. I love you, but I'm going to stop talking Ooh, to you if yes. you keep trying to make me feel guilty about not going to the gym. Good for there, there's you. Seasons. Yes, there's seasons for everything. I'm like, and definitely when this book is done, I have some health yeah. goals that I want to reach just to make myself feel better, even outside of just like, you know, the losing the pounds or whatever. I have health goals I need to, I need to work on, but this is not the season for that. This yes. is the season for my business, for my book. And then when things calm down, that will be it. So I think Amen. it's deciding what is the thing you're focusing on? Yeah. Um, where is the time that you can mm. re-navigate? I love that app on the cell phone that tells you how many hours you've spent doing things. I think it's a really good <laughs> gut check. Unless you have TikTok <laughs> on your phone, then it's a, a source of constant shame. But yes. Oh, yes. I TikTok's recently like deleted it. Hours. I was like, okay, this is enough of that. <laughs> I'm like, done there. No more. Exactly. Yeah. But sometimes that shame, yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I spent how many hours on TikTok today? Right, right. You could have spent 15 of those minutes reading the Your Next Move section right. to put your career strategy together. Amen. I love that. You know what's funny? I always say focus is a better predictor of success than hard work mm-hmm. and intelligence alone. So I love that you're walking that walk. You're showing us what it looks like. Your book looks incredible. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy, which is what I'm ordering right after we get off this interview. Uh, Who Mm. should pick up a copy of your book and where can they do so? Gosh, okay. So my book is for, I say, non-executive talent. So if you are in the entry to mid-level professional realm, this book is for you. Mm. Um, I do not care if you are Gen Z millennial, elder millennial, or Gen X. (laughs) I think it's for you. I think especially if you're a Gen Xer who hasn't really focused on relationship building, networking, your personal brand. I find a lot of folks in that area are a little nervous to grab it, Mm. Um, but I still think it's for them. Mm. Um, It really helps you. Sometimes you got a level set, like kind of get back, figure out what your strategy is by looking at everything. So definitely the entry to mid-level talent. Um, So your audience, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, The book is available wherever books are sold. And if you want the direct links, you can go to nextmovebestmovebook.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly. It has been such a delight speaking with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. For links to everything that Kimberly and I discussed in today's conversation, head to bossedup.org slash episode 340. That's bossedup.org slash episode 340. There you'll find a link to my episode with Sheila Heen, all about finding the feedback you need 
and even a past episode on commanding your story in the interview process, which is something we touched upon, but I didn't call out specifically. That episode with Valerie Gordon is really great. So go check it out if you want to learn more. Of course, you can also learn more about some of our fantastic programs, uh, including Level Up, our Leadership Accelerator, which is the best place to be if you are looking to get that next step, that promotion, get to your next level, or Hired, our Job Search Accelerator for folks who are ready to find what's next for them. And of course, go pick up a copy of Kimberly's new book. I just got my hands on one and I'm so excited to dive into it. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Today, I want to give a major shout out to Deb, who is an alum of our Hired Job Search Accelerator, because she just landed an awesome new role in human resources at Lucasfilm. There, she's able to leverage her international upbringing, her experience working in Hollywood earlier on in her career, and her HR experience to specifically support international employees. Deb has been such a dedicated, gritty job seeker throughout this challenging pandemic year plus, and I'm just so, so excited for her to thrive in this new role, which really beautifully combine some of her lifelong passions when it comes to film, international travel, international relations, and HR. So congrats to you, Deb, on this well-earned win. I know you're going to be really successful and happy at Lucasfilm, and I'm so happy for you. If you've got a boss move to share or... If you have a career conundrum you want me to unpack on an upcoming episode, feel free to leave me a voicemail now on the Bossed Up Podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. You can always also record a voice memo and just send it in to info at bossedup.org. I can't wait to hear what you thought of my conversation with Kimberly today. I feel like I could have talked to her for like another whole hour about the lessons in her book and just the brilliance she's bringing to this her, her approach to this topic, which is so interesting, so nuanced, and so thoughtful. So I hope you'll join me in supporting the guests here on the Boston Podcast by supporting uh, her book. Go grab a copy of her book. We got to help each other out, y'all. Uh, I know it means the world to me when I hear – I just had lunch with someone actually last week who I had on the podcast a year and a half ago. And she said to me, you know, I still get people who come in to my inbox via your podcast. And that – means the world to me. I just love seeing how y'all lift as you climb. So on that note, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose and together let's lift as we climb. Take care y'all. Bye.